Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And today, honey, we are delighted to be joined by Yuval Levin. Uh, he is the Director of Ethics and Public Policy Center's Bioethics and American Democracy Program, Senior Editor of the New Atlantis as well. Also the former Executive Director of the President's Council on Bioethics, that under President George W. Bush. And Yuval is here with us today to talk about his new book, Imagining the Future, Science and American Democracy. Yuval, welcome to the program. A treat to have you with us. Thanks for having me. It's a fascinating book, Yuval, just trying to set the stage for a better understanding between the relationship of science and American democracy. As you point out in the book, there really does seem to be a perceived, at the very least, a perceived divide between thoughts about science. And as you termed it, it has come down between right and left political thought. Well, it's true. It's unfortunate that uh, a lot of our science debates do seem to become partisan debates. But part of what I argue in the book is that a part of the reason for that is that our science debates bring out uh, what really is a genuine and deep division in our political life, uh, especially between people who tend to think of the future in terms of material progress and material innovation, and people who tend to think of the future in terms of moral progress, and therefore in terms of generations, of raising children, of uh, questions that go beyond the material. And this is a division that has a lot to do with our politics in general, but that uh, shows itself particularly starkly when we talk about some of the science-related issues that come up in our political life. Having been an advisor to George W. Bush on science matters, what do you perceive with the incoming administration and their stances since on so many social issues they seem to differ so greatly? Well, that's right. And we've certainly gotten some uh, early indications of that. Uh, the people around uh, President-elect Obama have said that among the first things he's going to do, for example, is uh, to overturn President Bush's uh, policy on stem cell research, on the funding of embryonic stem cell research. Well, President Bush has sought uh, to find some balance between the desire to advance medical research on the one hand and the desire to respect and regard uh, human life on the other, and uh, has sought to find ways to champion both rather than setting them against one another. Unfortunately, the president-elect has already signaled that he's going to uh, use taxpayer dollars to fund the destruction of embryos, which President Bush has, uh, has avoided doing. We've also gotten some signals in other areas uh, around the abortion question, certainly uh, the, the, the record of the president-elect when he was in Congress and when he was in the Illinois Senate. Uh, is not very encouraging to those of us who are concerned for the defense of, uh, of human life. He has, for instance, said that he would uh, welcome and sign the Freedom of Choice Act, which is really an extraordinarily radical piece of legislation uh, that would basically roll back all of the existing uh, limitations uh, in the states on the practice of uh, abortion today. So there's some reasons for concern for those of us who are pro-life, and uh, I do think we're going to see a very different flavor. Part of what the book tries to do is to make the case for why we need to take the moral issues that underlie a lot of our science debates very seriously and not put them aside just because what's at issue happens to be science. Why has science become so controversial? What is the origins? How did we get to this point? Yeah, well, one of the reasons, you know, is that there's a tendency uh, to treat every question in which science plays any kind of role as fundamentally a scientific question. And so to say there's nothing else to talk about. When, in fact, Usually, these questions are not fundamentally about science. The stem cell debate is a classic example of this. It's a debate that's not about science, but it begins from two premises that are scientific that people can agree on, 
that on the one hand, the research uh, seems to hold promise and could potentially advance medical progress, and on the other hand, the research involves the destruction of human embryos. These are both facts. The question is, is it right? Mm-hmm. Something we ought to be doing. Should we be destroying the developing human lives uh, if doing so might help medical research? That obviously is not a scientific question. It's an ethical and a philosophical question. It's about human life. It's about how we should treat human beings. It's about what our priorities are as a society. Uh, but there is a tendency, unfortunately, um, on the part of people who want to advance this research, uh, to say that it's all about science and that to, to advocate for boundaries and limits is to oppose science. And so that turns what ought to be a moral question into a, a debate uh, about science that allows one side to paint the other as anti-science. And so we've seen in a number of areas of our uh, public policy the past few years this way of arguing that it's not a way of winning debate, it's a way of averting and avoiding debate uh, by casting the other side uh, as anti-science. That's part of what makes science controversial. Another part, though, is just the fact that a lot of scientific developments uh, do raise very difficult moral questions uh, that challenge our uh, priorities. And we do find that uh, people on the two sides of our politics tend to have a different set of priorities in this regard, and uh, that makes me very controversial. You're listening to Spirit Mornings at Spirit Catholic Radio with Bruce and Chris McGregor talking this morning with Yuval Levin, author of the book Imagining the Future, Science and American Democracy. Now, Yuval, with the embryonic destructive research, it seems to be fairly widely known that really nothing has come of it so far that uh, any of uh, the advances they make, any attempts to uh, incorporate these uh, stem cells into uh, another organism and stuff just results in, in tumors, and and there's really nothing coming of it, yet we don't hear much about that aspect of the embryonic destructive research. Well, it's true. Certainly to date, there's not been any clinical applications of, uh, of embryonic stem cells. They've never been used to treat a, a patient. Um, some researchers do believe that they offer um, especially valuable sort of basic research tools that they have potential because they... Uh, are especially flexible that can be turned into the various cell types of the body, but they have not been shown, uh, they've not been demonstrated to have uh, clinical uh, utility so far. And also, what we've seen in the past few years, in part as a result of President Bush's approach to, to the uh, funding question, is the development of alternatives, not just adult stem cells, which have always been uh, a, a, a useful alternative, but also cells that seem to have all of the abilities and characteristics of embryonic stem cells but they don't require the destruction of human embryos, especially in the last two years. We've seen developments, for example, the use of skin cells that are reprogrammed to function like embryonic stem cells, uh, which could offer a genuine alternative, a real way out of this. And that sort of thing is exactly what uh, President Bush's policy has always tried to uh, support, that is, to avoid the choice between science and ethics, but rather to understand what we face as a challenge of championing both at the same time. It looks increasingly possible, but the issues become so politicized that unfortunately uh, the incumbent president feels that he has to reverse the politics. Mm-hmm. Isn't the argument really one more about ethics and morality and how that can be advanced in the culture's debate. The problem that I hear so often, particularly when it comes to those fundamental bioethical type of discussions, is that somehow the the stance 
for a progressive science to continue research under any cost is a sound-minded issue, a very logical one, as opposed to a, a religiously sentimental issue, which the other side is portrayed as. But that's, that's not really the way the debate should be framed. I think that's exactly right. There's a tendency to describe science as more neutral, which I think is just not true. Science, on the one hand, uh, can be very moral, can be morally positive in the sense that it, uh, especially medical science, helps us to uh, treat those who are sick and suffering, uh, and other kinds of science that empower us in all sorts of useful ways. But at the same time, science is also morally problematic when it presents us uh, with particular techniques with really serious moral challenges. Uh, when it gives us power that we need to think about how we, we ought to use. And uh, in both in both cases, science has to be understood as a moral endeavor, not as moral and neutral. It raises very important questions. And to argue that just because this is science, uh, there's nothing else to talk about, uh, as I say, is a way of shutting down debate rather than having a debate. I think one of the, one of the challenges for people uh, who do see uh, the moral concern is that we tend to imagine that scientific questions are so complicated that ethics somehow has to catch up. You always hear this, mm-hmm. science is moving so fast that ethics can't keep up with it. But the fact is, the ethical principles we need uh, to judge new scientific developments are not new. They are exactly the ethical principles that have always guided our civilization through complicated problems. They're exactly the principles that come from our moral tradition, our religious tradition, and even our political tradition in America. And the challenge we have is to understand that these very novel innovation to be understood through the same moral categories that have always served as well. Yuval, you talked in the book about that period in 2005 and 2006 where you spent a lot of time as a mediator between scientists and politicians. And in the particular chapter concerning the two cultures, you question the work of a novelist, C.P. Snow, which kind of gives framework to the discussion in the book, doesn't it? Well, that's right. It's, uh, I, I've got a chapter with a discussion of the time I spent working in the White House, uh, as you say, mediating between scientists and politicians. And what you learn is that there is uh, a, a deep kind of cultural division in a certain sense between scientists and politicians, that uh, they, they tend to speak different languages and they find it very hard to understand each other. But what I argue is that that's not actually the best way to understand the place of science in our uh, in our culture and our politics. Uh, C.P. Snow, as you say, uh, was a, a novelist and also a scientist uh, in Britain in the 1950s. He wrote a very very famous book called The Two Cultures, which which argued that the problem uh, between science and the larger culture is essentially a cultural difference. That scientists are educated differently, they think differently, and so they don't understand the larger culture and vice versa. What I argue in the book is that really that is not the way that this problem presents itself in American politics. It's not a, uh, a difference between scientists and non-scientists, but rather the science debates are a manifestation of a larger disagreement in our political life. It's really between the left and the right, and really about prioritizing the future, about what matters most. Uh, science is just one subject in that debate, but it's been especially prominent one lately, and it's also one that really clarifies the difference. Uh, which shapes that debate in other places, too. And the difference, as I say, has to do with uh, a way of thinking about the future. Do we think about the future in terms of future generations and the need to, uh, to provide a moral example to the future, the need to raise children in the future? Or do we think about the future in terms purely of material innovation, the need to uh, improve our standard of living? Both of these things, of course, are important, but um, how you prioritize them makes a very big difference. And we tend to find 
that the cultural right and the cultural left in our society often break down along those lines. You think first about what matters most uh, for moral uh, progress and for raising children, but you think first about what matters most for material progress and for uh, individual choice and uh, individual liberty. These are all important, but it makes a big difference what we put first and what we put second. Right. Now, you've all, obviously, you've had firsthand experience in advising a uh, president, uh, George W. Bush, on things like this. I guess the $64,000 question kind of becomes, can we really put our trust in the politicians and, and a lot of the advice and they get uh, to really kind of govern science, if you will? Well, it's a very important question, and I, I would say the answer to that is that we really don't have a choice, that the alternatives are all worse than that. Mm-hmm. We do have a political system that allows us to, uh, however inefficiently, to channel the priorities and the desires of the American public uh, through the democratic process and through our elected officials. The alternatives uh, basically involve allowing experts together, and I think that that's worse than uh, allowing elected officials together. So the challenge for our society and for politicians uh, is to make sure that we don't lose sight of the moral side of these questions, the ethical side of these questions, the social side, uh, and that our politicians understand that their responsibility is to uh, govern science in the way that we govern other human endeavors. And uh, I do think that politicians can be trusted to govern science. Again, because the, the scientific questions that present themselves in our political life are generally not fundamentally scientific questions. Mm-hmm. They are social and moral and ethical and political questions. And that's why we have the kind of political system we have, to handle those sorts of questions responsibly. Bruce and I, Yuvali, are just your average folks out there. We are just most people who really don't understand all the intricacies of science. However, I think we can understand basic morality questions just because we're presented those to us in everyday life. And I remember when I was a kid in high school, I had to read Brave New World. And I remember thinking, oh, we'll never allow it to get that bad. Oh, no, it will never happen. And yet... That's precisely the potential of what could happen if we just turn everything ethically to people we think are smarter than us. Well, I think that's right. Brave New World turned out to be an incredibly pathetic book in the 1930s. Uh, as pure science fiction, almost none of the technologies that we described uh, were possible then. You know, it begins with human hatcheries uh, producing, uh, producing human embryos outside the body. It was unimaginable then, but it's done routinely now. That's in vitro fertilization. It's done all the time. Mm-hmm. Proceeds into, I mean, it really raises the question of ought we let uh, the experts govern? And uh, it offers a powerful case against it. Um, and, you know, of course, it's fiction, it's powerful, but it makes you think about the moral issues that begin to arise when you uh, think of science as the only way of knowing, as the only thing that's uh, worth knowing. And when you think of material questions, is the only questions worth asking. And I, I do think that that is the risk we run. And uh, that's the nature we have to stay There's a part of us who also growing up in that same time period that if we hadn't supported science and allowed them to advance, we wouldn't have had the space race in the 60s with that technologies that came out of that zeal to be able to get to the moon. But it doesn't seem as morally problematic, man traveling and exploring new areas, which they had been doing since man could walk, Mm -hmm. as opposed to 
doing the intricacies of the bioethical experimentation that's being done now. We've never we've never done that. Well, that's quite right. I think it's uh, it, what it shows is that it's important to understand that science is not just one big thing. But science presents us with a lot of uh, very positive developments, including moral positive developments uh, in medicine and also. But at the same time, it also sometimes gives uh, some uh, serious moral problems. Science fundamentally power. And uh, when we have a lot of powers, exactly when we need to think hardest about how we ought to and ought not to use that power. And it's especially important, as you say, when we're talking about biotechnology, we're talking about changing the biology of the human person or uh, dealing with or experimenting with uh, human beings. And uh, those are the, the toughest and most difficult questions that raises for us. And those are the ones where we have to be most alert to the moral consequences. Obviously, there are a lot of scientific advances that we can all welcome and that uh, don't seem to be troubling in any significant way. Most of them are of that sort. It's very important to see those that aren't and to understand them in the right way. Mm-hmm. Well, I bring up an example. Another one that pops into my mind is the development of nuclear weapons. That originally came out of a sentiment of fear, essentially, that the Germans would develop this before us, and then if we have to continue to develop it so that we could stop wars, and yet it ballooned, exploded, mushroom cloud into something that was fearful for so many generations and probably still should be fearful in many ways today. Still hangs over our heads. Yeah, still hangs over our heads. I mean, that's the potential of life and death on a massive scale. And yet here we have in the bioethics field the sentiment of wanting to live longer, to be healthy at all costs, and yet the potential of having that same type of mushroom cloud affect all of humanity if it, it runs unchecked. Well, that's exactly right. It's, a, uh, it, it's in part a problem of unintended consequences, in part it's a problem of intended consequences. And I'm just starting to see the scale of uh, what it is we're getting ourselves into. And as you say, we've seen it before. We've seen it before with different kinds of technologies. But it is probably at its most extreme and at its most important uh, when we're dealing with uh, manipulations of the human person, uh, of human biology. And uh, that's a place where the unintended consequences are awfully uh, serious. And, uh, of course, it's impossible to predict exactly where things will go. But there are certain kinds of protections that we can certainly see have to be in place, especially uh, for human dignity, for human life, uh, for the uh, integrity of the family. And, and these are the kinds of things that you see threatened by things like human cloning or uh, certain developments in human enhancement technology. So, Yuval, I mean, the secondary title of the book, Science and American Democracy, I mean, how will the future of that relationship exist? Well, we're going to see a lot of uh, action at this intersection of science and democracy. And part of what the book tries to do is to ask what we can learn about our political life from the way that we've fought these science debates uh, so far and uh, what, what lessons there are for the future. The lessons for the future, as I see them, <coughs> excuse me, have to do with... Um, the need for politicians and for voters to see uh, that these, that the moral element of these questions cannot be ignored, and to see that we, in fact, do have the tools, the political uh, and the moral tools, uh, to deal with them properly, but that we need to understand the challenge uh, for democracy. Right. One of the important things is that um, our political system uh, is, is established with certain kinds of premises that it has in common with modern science. Uh, modern democracy and modern science were born around the same time and from around the same kind of, uh, of of idea factory. But at the same time, it also has to be informed by older ideas, 
by our moral tradition, by our religious tradition, and it has to draw on uh, resources that are, I think, at its disposal for seeing the moral problems, for handling the moral problems. We haven't done that all that well, but we're really only at the beginning of an age of biotechnology that's going to present us with a lot of problems, and that we have to think about very seriously at the outset so that we don't uh, get it wrong from the beginning. Talking with uh, Yuval Levin, author of the book Imagining the Future, Science and American Democracy. And Yuval, one of the things that you see painted quite often through certain sections of the media is the fact that, and we hear this in the Catholic Church too, that conservatives or more the Republican Party are considered to be anti-science. Uh, the Democratic Party considered perhaps to be the party of science. And I think we take a big beating on that, you know, in the Catholic Church and on the conservative side by the fact that we do try and have a sense of morality to frame how science is going into all of these different areas. Would you say that that's a correct assumption? I think that's exactly right. We see that a lot. And as I say, a lot of it is a kind of political tactic. It's a way of uh, avoiding the moral argument by saying that uh, to oppose my position is to oppose science. And, of course, there's some factual arguments we can offer in response. Certainly the, uh, the current administration, the Republican administration, uh, has increased funding, for example, for scientific research in America tremendously, almost, uh, well, 52% higher this year than it was uh, in 2001. It's a tremendous increase. Mm -hmm. And obviously conservatives and Republicans uh, and social conservatives support science. I mean, support for science is not a controversial matter in American politics. I think uh, Catholics in particular also have a great tradition of support for science to point to. Uh, the Catholic Church has always been a supporter of the advancement of knowledge. It's always been at the forefront of, uh, of academic research. And it, it, to me, it's just silly to argue that uh, this is really a debate about who's for science and who's against science. Right. It's a debate about particulars. It's a debate about a few very narrow areas where science does present us with enormous moral dilemmas. And um, to see science and ethics here as opposed to one another is sides we have to pick, I think it's a terrible mistake. The challenge we have is to champion them both, and it's awfully difficult, but it's made more difficult by uh, the, the sort of tendencies uh, of, of advocates of these, uh, of these avenues of research to say that their opponents are just anti-science. Well, the uh, days ahead are going to be uh, very, very interesting as we continue to watch this debate unfold. Uh, we've been talking this morning with Yuval Levin, author of the book, Imagining the Future, science, and American democracy. Yuval, we want to thank you for being generous with our time, and uh, boy, it just uh, moves right along. As we wrap up, uh, any final thoughts or observations you'd like to bring forward? Well, I would only say that uh, these are questions that are going to be very, very important in the next few years. Uh, regardless of uh, who's in power uh, in the White House or who's in power in Congress, the, the sheer advancement of science we can expect in areas like human cloning and others uh, are going to make these questions extremely important, and I think it's uh, crucial that we understand them in the right uh, context. I agree with exactly. you on that for sure. You've all Levin with us, imagining the future, science, and American democracy. Again, you've all thank you for being with us today. We're deeply appreciative, and we do want to encourage everyone listening with an interest in science and where things are going in the future to uh, pick up a copy of Yuval's book. Thanks so much. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks very much.